long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people did not answer him a word. And then Elijah said to the people, I, even I only, am left a prophet of the Lord. But Baal's prophets are 450 men. Let two bulls be given to us, and let them choose one bull for themselves, and cut it in pieces, and lay it on the wood, but put no fire to it. And I will prepare the other bull, and lay it on the wood, and put no fire to it. And you call upon the name of your God, and I will call upon the name of the Lord. And the God who answers by fire, he is God. And all the people answered, it is well spoken. And then Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, Choose for yourselves one bull and prepare it first, for you are many, and call upon the name of your God, but put no fire to it. And they took the bull that was given them, and they prepared it, and called upon the name of Baal, from morning until noon, saying, O Baal, answer us. But there was no voice, and no one answered. And they limped around the altar that they had made. And at noon, Elijah mocked them, saying, Cry aloud, for he is a god. Either he is amusing, or he is relieving himself, or he is on a journey, or perhaps he is asleep and must be awakened. And they cried aloud and cut themselves after their custom with swords and lances until the blood gushed out upon them. And as midday passed, they raved on until the time of the offering of the oblation. But there was no voice. No one answered. No one paid attention. And then Elijah said to all the people, Come near me. And all the people came to him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been thrown down. Elijah took up twelve stones, according to the number of tribes of the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord came, saying, Israel shall be your name. And with the stones he built an altar to the name of the Lord, and he made a trench about the altar, as great as would contain two seas of seed. And he put the wood in order, and cut the bull in pieces, and laid it on the wood. And he said, Fill four jars with water, and pour it on the burnt offering and on the wood. And he said, Do it a second time. And they did it a second time. And he said, Do it a third time. And they did it a third time. And the water ran around the altar, and filled the trench also with water. And at that time of the offering of the oblation, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel, and that I am your servant, and that I have done all things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that these people may know that you, O Lord, are God, and that you have, not turned, that you have turned their hearts back. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. And Elijah said to them, Seize the prophets of Baal. Let no one of them escape. And they seized them. And Elijah brought them down to the brook of Kishon and slaughtered them there. This is the word of our Lord. That was just five of, you know, over 70 stories that we could sit here and just talk about for days um, about what God did this past week and what he's still doing. And uh, what was so cool about this week 
is many times you, you go to a camp and like the music is, is on point. The music was good. The music's on point. And, you know, you're, you're playing as a musician, you know, this is, this is what I like to do, but you're, you're playing that, that chord and all of a sudden you go to that minor chord, you know, that makes everybody's emotions just well up and then that's when everybody gets going. And like that was good this week, but one thing that made this week awesome was that what was changing people's lives and ultimately the only thing that can change our lives was that the word of God was being preached, it was the, the, the guy down there, the Bible study leaders who were leading every single day, the word was being preached, the word was being taught, people were getting in the Bible, they were getting in the word, and that's honestly what changes lives. That's what would change your life, and what I mean by change, I'm not talking about necessarily getting saved, I'm talking about just every day. Being in the word and seeing what God has to say um, to you, and what he's saying and speaking into your situation, um, that... That was what was so awesome about this week, and I, I know what y'all are probably thinking. It's 1020. You've got somebody who's been filled up all week, so we're not getting out of here till 1130. No, that won't happen. Um, we, we will be done, hopefully, on time, um, but uh, we want to look into God's Word this morning. This week's just been amazing. Um, that The stories that you heard, like that Tuesday night that Aaron was talking about, was just so cool because God just moved in on Tuesday night, and it seemed like people's people's chains that, that they maybe had been something that had been holding them down, holding them back, burdens that were on people's shoulders. Like the Holy Spirit just lifted those. And I don't know if you get Grace's emails, but I, I read one Wednesday, I think it was, that Jerry sent to the whole church and uh, where I told him that in one night, one hour, the Holy Spirit did more in one hour than, it, than we could do in a hundred years of planning. And it, it was so true. Like God just worked there and we we heard a little bit about it from Aaron uh, on that Tuesday night this morning. I don't know about the whole idea of crazy music that he was talking about. We um I will give you that I I, I don't have XM radio in in my car, but Lamar Silver that was the the white Chevy as we called it this week Silverado. Uh, that was the the vehicle that we took down there and it's got XM radio. We were flipping through, and I have to blame this on Dylan because I didn't find the station because I was 10 and 2 the whole way. And, and Dylan found this station, and I don't remember what channel it is, like 52, 53, 54, something like that, and it was electronic dance mix radio. All right, so it was just this like dubstep kind of odd stuff that we just had pumping the whole time until like we were getting about maybe 20 minutes from Caswell, and all of a sudden my, the, the gauge on the truck was like, because we were pulling the trailer, you know, very, very heavy, and the gauge just started going down 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 and I remember thinking like we're, we're, we're driving through the wilderness okay there's nothing but pine trees on this side pine trees on that side and we're driving through there and I remember thinking all right God you're getting me instead of listening to Chris Tomlin we were listening to this and you're gonna make us run out of gas you know and I was like but it didn't happen we, we, we were praying and all of a sudden like bam a gas station appeared like this long huge kangaroo station we pulled in there and got gas but just a, just an amazing week and we, we, our desire, and we talked about this in church group time every single night, the one thing we wanted to do was not simply leave there and, and be done. And the one thing that I want for us sitting in this room this morning is that we, we allow God to speak into our lives and that we don't come to church, uh, we don't get into the Word, get, just get into His Word in the morning and then just be done. That we allow Him daily uh, by the hour, by the minute, to change who we are into the likeness of Christ. So this morning we're going to look at 1 Kings 18. It's probably, it probably is my favorite passage out of the Old Testament. I know a lot of, a lot of preachers, whatever they're preaching at the time is their favorite passage, you know, but this literally is uh, one of my favorite narratives. Um, this week our, our 
theme text of Caswell was Ephesians uh, 3.20. I'll read that for you while you're turning to 1 Kings. Ephesians 3.20 says, it's Ephesians 4. Ephesians 3.20 says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we can ask or think, according to the power that is at work within us. The idea all week was we want God to do so much more in our lives. And the, the pastor down there started out with a statement. Um, and his statement for the week, I think, could resonate for everybody in this room. He said, your expectation dictates your experience. And that's so true because what we expect God to do dictates sometimes what ends up happening. Because we can sometimes think and, and say, like, I really wish God would do this. I really wish God would save my family member. I really wish God would take care of this in my life with, with no hope that he will. We just hope that he does without thinking that it really might happen. And he set the tone for the week with that statement. And in our text this morning, we see that Elijah goes before 850, he kind of is, is, is battling with 450, but there's 850 guys there. And he, he puts this plan into action. And we see God in this passage do immeasurably, abundantly more than anything we could ever ask or anything we could ever do for ourselves. And many of you sitting here in this room this morning and you are in a situation, maybe it's with your spouse. Maybe it's with your kids. And the situation with your kids is tough. Your relationship with your mother or your father is torn. You're going through so many things, and the one thing you need this morning is for God to step into your situation and do abundantly more than anything you could ever ask or anything you could ever imagine. So what I hope to do this morning with this passage is to encourage us that the God that we serve is not a God who likes doing small stuff. He doesn't mind to get into the details of our lives, but he's a God who wants to do so much more than we ever give him credit for. So let's look at our passage this morning. I'm not going to reread it. A little background on it, though. Um, Ahab, who is the king of Israel, marries Jezebel. We all know that she's not a good person. And what happened with Jezebel is that she worshiped false gods. She worshipped gods, the, 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 her people that she came from. She brought those gods with her. And instead of Ahab saying, no, nah, we're going to worship the one true God, what happens? He begins to worship those gods along with her. So Elijah then prophesies and says, it's not going to rain for three years. For three years it won't rain. What happens when it doesn't rain for three years? Drought. And drought leads to famine. There's a lot of things in this life we think we need until we realize, I don't have I don't have water, and I don't have food. And then we realize that, that that's exactly what we need. We need water, and we need food. Well, they don't have it, and Ahab doesn't like it. Obviously, he's a king. People are probably saying, you know, what's the king doing up there? Uh, what, what, what's going on with you? Why don't we have any water? So what does he do? He blames it on Elijah, God's prophet. And maybe, maybe he, was, he was right in his own thinking because Elijah prophesied, and it happened. But he's blaming Elijah for the drought, and Elijah gets to them and, and says, he says, look, maybe it's not my fault that you're experiencing drought. Maybe it is the fact that you are worshiping false gods and the real God is withholding from you what you need. Many of you maybe have struggled or are struggling through spiritual drought in your life. You're looking at situations, and you're in a season of spiritual drought, and, and if from our passage, this could mean that maybe it's because of a sin that, that you may not be confessing or willing to give over. 
or something in your life that you're not willing to relinquish to God and say, God, whatever this is, this is yours. And we see, and we'll see at the end of this passage, that when we do that, God brings forth um, rain. God brings forth his blessing. So we see in our passage that we have a clash for the ages. We have Baal, and we have the real, true God. We have this one false god, and, and they, were, they worshipped a lot of different gods, and we have one true god, and we see a battle that's about to take place. What you have is you have a counterfeit. You have one that is false, and you have one that is true. And you may look and say, well, you know, Adrian, we don't worship idols. We don't, we don't worship uh, false gods. But oftentimes in our life, we take things that God meant for good, that, that God has given to us, and we take those things and we make them what I would call counterfeit gods. We make those things in our life um, that, that maybe God meant for good. Maybe it's wealth. Maybe it's success. Maybe it is sex. Maybe it is relationships. Whatever it is. And we take those things that were never meant to be good, but we elevate them in our life and say, if I don't have that thing, I won't be set. If I don't have that thing that I'm looking for that's not God, then whatever it is you're looking for is a counterfeit God. It is an idol, just like these people were worshiping. So what happens? The first four verses, we see that we have 450 prophets against one. And they go up there, imagine that. It would be like this room being full or about what it is right now, and then me standing here, uh, or if you put your place, you would stand up, and everybody else is against you, and you are by yourself. And Elijah stays bold, and he says, How long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, then follow him. He looks and says, look, you can't be holding on to the world. You can't be holding on to this one God with one hand and try to hold on to the one true God. When it's comfortable, hold on to this God. And when it's comfortable, hold on to the one true God. He says, no, our God is not like that. You either, you're either all in over here or you are all in on this side. You can't keep walking down that road where you're saying, I kind of want to stay here, but I kind of want to stay here. Elijah says, no, we can't do that. So what does he say? He says, here's how we're going to take care of this. You're going to make your little altar. And you can imagine, and we'll get to it in a minute, you can imagine like how, just how the, the taunting language he's using. I love it because it's kind of cool. And he's sitting there and he says, like, I want you to make you a little altar. I want you to cut up a bull and I want you to, to put wood on it. And, and here's what's going to happen. We're going to see which altar that God sends fire to. All right? We're going to see that. So you can imagine 450 of them, and they're like, man, we know this is going to happen because we're going to dance around, and we're going to shout, and we're going to sing, and all of a sudden we're going to see fire just show up. So what happens? That's what, that's what they do. The one thing we've got to know is, is in their culture, they have so many gods, but Baal is a god of, 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 of fertility. He's also a god of fire, of, of lightning. They thought many times that when, the, you know, when lightning would strike something, obviously it can catch on fire, so they saw him sometimes as a god of fire. So what's going to happen here? You, you actually see that Elijah is taking something that, that they think will satisfy them and saying, here, I want to prove you wrong with your own God that you think will take care of your needs. So then Elijah um, says, y'all go ahead and cry out. So it says from morning until midday, those prophets just cry out. It says they, they dance around and they are... They're sacrificing their body. They take out, they take out uh, swords or, or knives and they start cutting their body. And they're, just, they're wanting their God to answer them so bad that they sacrifice themselves. And often we do the same thing. We, we take things in our life and maybe it's our job and we sacrifice time with our family 
because, I don't mean just, just time, there's days that you're going to sacrifice time, but we sacrifice time with our family because our job means more to us than they do. We sacrifice um, our bodies by saying, you know what, if, 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 if that guy who's saying, or that girl who's saying that if we'll do this, you know, everything, in, everything inside of me will be great, everything will be awesome, and you sacrifice your body thinking that that's going to bring you ultimate joy. You think that that's going to bring you your ultimate satisfaction, and we see in this passage that is not the case. So then those prophets, you can imagine, they're dancing around that altar, and they're beginning to get nervous. Why? Because they're dancing around for about six hours, and what's happened yet? Nothing. Not a thing has happened yet. So what does Elijah do? It says he mocks them. Look at this in verse 27. And at noon, Elijah mocked them, saying, Cry aloud, for he is God. Either he is musing, or he is relieving himself. In other words, is your God literally in the outhouse? Like, that's what, that's what it means. Like, the language is there. It's like, is your God out back doing number two? That's what Elijah says to him. So think about that. He's just sitting there, man. And those guys are dancing around, and he's like, so do you have to go real bad? You know, I mean, like, that's what Elijah's saying to him. He said, can your God not, can your not God not hear you? He said, or maybe he's on a journey, or perhaps he's asleep, and you need to wake him up. In other words, one thing he's trying to prove to them right there is that, hey, um, your God, although I know that he's not real, or your, your gods, I know they're not real, I'm going to mock you in such a way that says, even if he was, he needs to be woken up. Because he's not always with you. He'll walk out on a journey. He will leave you sometimes. And Elijah's trying to prove to us that the one true God will never leave us. So what does he do? Elijah then goes out of his way to make sure his altar is ready. Look at verse 30. Elijah said to all the people, come near to me. All the people came near. And he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been thrown down. Think about that for a second. These people, their ancestors had witnessed the parting of the Red Sea, had witnessed the journey out of, out of Egypt. Their ancestors had witnessed God do some amazing things, but yet the altar of the Lord had fallen down. Why? Because they had let so much in other cultures, they had let so much in their own world influence them so much so that they had lost sight of the one true God. I hope this morning that you're not sitting there and you've let this world influence you so much that you look back and say, I remember when God saved me, but like I, 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 that doesn't influence me now because I'm so in deep in all these things that I'm doing. Remember, God is with you God loves you, and God is pursuing you. What does it say? It says he took 12 stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord came, saying, Israel shall be your name. With the stones he built an altar, and he made a trench about the altar that would contain two seahs of seed. And he put wood in order, excuse me, and he put the wood in order and cut the bulls in pieces and laid it on the wood. And he said, fill four jars with water and pour it over the burnt offering. And on the wood, and he said, do it a second time, then do it a third time. They did it a third time, and the water ran around the altar and filled the trench. So in other words, he built this altar, laid the, bull, laid the wood on it, and then said, you know what? I'm not going to even take a chance of like, you know, some kind of combustion happening. I want you to take these jars, and I want you to pour them all over this altar. So just think he built an altar, he's put a trench around it, and it says the water ran off of that altar so much that it filled the trench and then some. He said, we're really going to put to the test who is the one true God. Your God is God over lightning. Well, he should have sent lightning and caught this thing on fire. But it didn't. Then Elijah says, I want to prove something to you. In the midst of, of everything, I'm going to go out of my way to see 
if my God truly is greater. So what happens? Verse 36. At the time of the oblation, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord, God of Abraham, God of Isaac, and God of Israel, let it be known this day that you are God and that I am your servant, and I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that these people may know you are God and you have turned their hearts back. Before we go any further, notice, these guys cried out from, from 6 o'clock in the morning until six hours, cutting themselves, worshiping, crying, wondering if their God was really going to answer. And Elijah says a simple prayer. The difference is Elijah wasn't calling out to something that he thought was going to fulfill him and never would. He was calling out to the one true God who always will satisfy your deepest longings. And in one simple prayer, verse 38 says, Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering, and the wood and the stones and the dust, and licked it up that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. And Elijah said to them, Seize the prophets of Baal. Let no one of them escape. And they seized them, and Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and had them slaughtered there. Elijah says one simple prayer. God sends his fire from heaven, and it consumed this altar that had water poured all over it. And many of you may read and say, like, well, that's kind of messed up that the prophets of, of, of Baal like, went down and like, got slaughtered. That, that proves to us that God's judgment is on those people who don't repent from their wickedness. God's judgment is on those people who don't repent from their wickedness. You've got to think, the prophets of, of, of Baal were dancing around that altar. They could have at any time said, you know what, this is not working. I'm going to his side, but instead chose to continue to give themselves to that thing that would never satisfy them. They continued to. They, at any moment, they could have stepped away and said, no, I want to go beyond Elijah's side, but they did not. So what is this passage this morning? teach us. There are many things we could go through this and we could, we could break apart for days. Before I even go to what it teaches us, what happens in verse 41? The Lord sends rain. Elijah drops down and he prays for rain and he sends his servant seven times and finally the seventh time he comes back and he says, hey, you know what? God is sending this little cloud that's the size of a man's hand and it's coming over here and then all of a sudden the place opens up and God's blessing, the one thing they needed, rain, opens up all over the land that had been in a drought for three years. Because there were people, there were Israelites who said, I was following these false gods and now I turn back and I'm saying, God, I want to follow you because you have proven to me that you are better, that you are greater. And God sent blessing when they repented from their sin. This passage teaches us that God has no rival. God has no rival. There is not one person, there is not one job, there is not one relationship, there is not any amount of money, there is nothing that can rival the one true God. God may also be saying to you this morning, stop limping back and forth between different opinions. Stop trying to hold on to the, to, to, to the world's hand and then hold on to God's hand and, and walk through there and say, you know what, I wanna, I, when it's comfortable and convenient, I want to I hold on to the world, but then when things get tough, I'll hold on to God. No, God is a jealous God, and he says, no, I want you over here with me. The passage says we can spend months, days, years searching for satisfaction of our deepest longings to be met. We can look for days for that relationship to make us feel like we're accepted. We can look for days for, for whatever it is that we look for and, and, and want to feel accepted, to feel approved of, to feel satisfied. But ultimately, 
Ultimately, anything that you place your faith in to bring you the ultimate satisfaction will finally fail at some point. And God is sitting there saying, you don't have to look in, other, in any other direction outside of me to bring you your ultimate joy, to bring you your ultimate satisfaction, to meet your deepest needs. Psalm 34, 8 says, taste and see that the Lord is good. I use this, this is probably the cross reference I use like two times every sermon in youth worship because it's amazing. Because we can look, and if there's an awesome meal just sitting right over here, we can look over there and say, that meal looks really good. That meal looks great. But until we walk over there, get a bite of it, we'll never know how good it is. Some of you sitting here this morning and you look and say, man, like, I would love to have more of Jesus. I want more of him. I want him to fill me more. I want to feel joy that these students are feeling. And you're just over there looking at the table when all God's saying you got to do is walk over there and taste and see that he is good. God wants to prove to you how good he is and that he can and will bring refreshing to you spiritually, to your parents, to your families, to your spouse, because Christ is enough. When God showed up and he proved his glory, people believed and it brought rain and provided everyone everything they needed. This week has been so awesome because we saw, um, we got there Monday night and and the, the pastor set the tone of the week by saying your expectation uh, dictates your experience. And night two, um, we saw the Holy Spirit work in so many cool ways this week. It wasn't just like the same every single night. On night two on Tuesday, as you heard Aaron talk about, we saw people's burdens lifted. We saw people's um, um, the bondage from sin just broken. And I was talking last night, and I was thinking the perfect, uh, this at least the best analogy that somebody who's got like eight hours sleep all week can think of, is like if, if you take somebody and you put, them in a, you put them right here, and you build this block wall around them, and they cannot get out. And that's because of their sin. It's because of burden. On Tuesday night, the Holy Spirit moved in such a way that just started taking a sledgehammer and breaking that wall down. But yet somebody was still standing inside on a Wednesday night. The Holy Spirit convicted. It was a night where he just began convicting of sin, showing us what areas of our lives we need to give up. And it was so cool that he moved in that way. And then on Thursday night, the, the, the preacher just went off at some point and like everybody was standing up and and just going nuts and he and and what he was doing is he was telling us from the new testament all of who we are in christ and it was like that night that the holy spirit just picked us up out of there and placed us here and started dressing us in such a way to show hey you know what like like i love you i am for you and then on friday night we just went bananas in worship and just shouted for hours you know and it was awesome But God moved so great this week, and God can move so great. It doesn't take camp for him to move that way. Why? Because we experience God every single day through this. We experience God every single day. Every time we open up his word and we read anything from Genesis to Revelation, we experience the very breath of God. We experience who God is. And it was so cool to see that happen this week. It was awesome to see that happen this week. But one thing... The final thing this passage teaches us is this. You see, the prophets of Baal were judged for their wickedness. They were taken down to the brook, and they were judged for their wickedness. But about 800 years later, there will be a man come onto the scene who was perfect, who never once went over to a false god because he himself was God. And still is. He, he came onto the scene. He lived a life that was perfect. He lived a life in perfect humility, in perfect submission to God. He lived a holy, set-apart, awesome life. But instead of us being judged for our sin, he was judged for our sin. 
God's judgment fell on Jesus instead of us, even though he was innocent, even though he was perfect, even though he was holy. God's judgment fell on Jesus rather than us, and he did so because he loves you. God displayed his glory. He could have painted something in the sky and said, I am God, listen to me, but instead, no. He came down to the earth in the form of a baby and said, I want to show you my glory by becoming lower than you and dying for you so that I can show you how loving I am, how gracious I am, and finally, because Jesus came back three days later, how awesome and glorious I am. That's the last thing, and I think the greatest thing this passage teaches us is we can look for satisfaction and longing in so many different places, but ultimately the only place we will feel acceptance, the only place we will feel ultimate joy is understanding that we are so small and we are so little, but yet Christ is enough. Yet Christ is so good. Thank you. Um, we, We understand that then because Jesus didn't have to accept us. Jesus didn't say, man, I, I, I've, I've, I, just, I just want to go down there and, you know, take care of some business. No, he said, you know what? They have messed up so bad. But I love them so much. Romans 5, 8 captures that God showed his love for us and that while we were still sinners. It doesn't say when you clean your life up. It doesn't say when you finally started getting things in order. It says when you were at your worst, Jesus came down and died for you so you could have life. That's what this passage teaches us this morning. So I want to close with this. If there is, is, is any, anything that you have this morning burdening you, things that you have that you're like, man, like I want to experience God in, in a greater way. I want to know him more. I want to know him for the first time. I want to know about this gospel and about this Jesus that you're talking about. Then come down front. There'll be, there's people all over the room who would be willing to pray with you, to talk with you. Because I, I would hate for you, honestly, this morning to walk out of here and think like, man, that's a cool story. Because it is. It's a, it's, a, it's a real cool story. But the whole point of the story is to show us that these false gods will never satisfy what you think they will. Only God will give you the ultimate satisfaction that you need. And that's what I want us to walk out of here with. God is immeasurably more than anything we could ever ask. And he proved it in this passage. Let's pray together.